what happened is I just kept practicing and staying with it and learning different ways of opening up the brain. And it really literally took me only six months and I was on top of my game. Welcome to the Have It All podcast. I'm Elon Ferdman, and along with my brother Guy, we're Satori Prime. We've spent the last 16 years on a quest of mastery, and not just in business, all areas. Mastery of our finances, our bodies, our relationships, and most importantly, our minds. You see, while most people fantasize about their dream life, we went out and created it. And you bet we learned a few things along the way. So if you want to gain new skills and tools that will help you achieve the life of your dreams, well, you've come to the right place. So get ready to have your mind expanded. Implement what you learn here today, and you'll start living the life of your dreams instead of just, well, dreaming about it. So are you ready to have it all? Let's go. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Have It All podcast. Your host here, Elon Ferdman. I had an awesome interview with a woman by the name of Laurie Kasser, and she is actually responsible. She'll tell you more about it, but she's responsible for training people on health and nutrition in Tony Robbins' Life Mastery Program. She's been doing that for a bunch of years. This conversation, however, I brought her on because she's also a neuroscientist. And you know me, I love to geek out on that stuff. And so we actually did a whole interview on neuronutrition. In other words, what's happening internally in your brain around your health, around your diet. And it was pretty incredible. Um, A lot of the things that we train our clients and and, uh, group coaching participants in all areas of life, things like relationships and their finances and business and what they're passionate about. I could just see all of these things tying in in the way that she described it. So it was really, really great. We spoke about just a few things just to give you some highlights, mastery over myself versus within myself. We, like I said, neuronutrition, how the brain works when you're dealing with weight loss. We spoke about an interesting topic about those that lose weight, people that were heavy and lose weight, and then that they still continue to see the fat version of themselves in the mirror and how to deal with that. She gave a really, really awesome story. We spoke about the default mode network versus the task process network in the brain, which was fascinating. And... Yeah, shutting down emotions with food, alcohol, and drugs. I mean, we, we covered all the gamut. So if you've ever been or are two grams overweight, I think that you'll find this interview incredibly helpful. And yeah, we'll see you on the next one. Enjoy. All right, everyone. So like I said, welcome back. Super excited to have this uh, guest on our show. For those of you guys that don't know or haven't listened to our show for a while, I am a bit of a neuroscience and and cognitive brain geek. It's one of those things that I just nerd out about. And uh, when I met Lori, we were chatting. She's like, well, I'm actually an expert at this. And I've honed it in on the health and wellness space. And I was like, well, that is intriguing. So first of all, Lori, welcome Mm -hmm. to the show. Thanks, Elon. Glad Um, to be here. So here's what I'd like for you to do rather than hear uh, 
you know, a boring intro is just tell people what it is that you're up to right now, what it is that you're passionate and delivering, and then we'll get into all the the nerdy, cool science stuff, which okay. I'm super excited about. Great. Okay. Well, I've been in the, the health and fitness industry for 25 years, and it started really as a part of my own journey to improve my own health and fitness and, uh, you know, struggled most of my life with my weight, with various addictive tendencies. So I went down the dieting path and, and really found that it was ineffective. You know, it was sort of this ex- adopting external behaviors that didn't really give me long lasting and sustainable results. So I actually took it upon myself to leave the career I was in and go wholeheartedly all into to health and fitness so that I could kind of gain a better, deeper understanding of why I wasn't able to to sustain, you know, I'd have I'd have weight loss, I'd put some nice muscle mass on, and then, you know, I would start to revert back to my old patterns. I went back to university five years ago. I took a, a general degree in biological sciences, but I took uh, specialized in neuroscience, and that's really when things started to light up for me, literally and figuratively, in a, in a kind of a different way. It started to really make sense to me to understand how the brain works and also the concept that we can actually get the brain working for us rather than being, you know, kind of at the will or the mercy of some old evolutionary standards, which is what the field of neuroscience really believed until, you know, 150 years ago that there's this plasticity that we can really use to our advantage. So I started to investigate how that would fit in with people that were struggling both with addictive tendencies and specifically with eating challenges, with the challenges with food. I've been a coach for a long time now. And, you know, it's that same question that keeps coming up. Why, when I know what I know, do I choose to do otherwise? And why, when I get to a place where I'm happy with my weight and with my health, am I not able to, to, stick with it. So my passion really has been about focusing on, you know, how does it break down in, in our behavior? How can we build the best brain? You know, essentially, that's what I wrote all of my papers on in school and focused on as sort of my end game thesis. And uh, it really provided a great template for my own health and well-being. I mean, going to university at that, I was 40 seven in my freshman year with a bunch of 19 year olds (laughs) taking calculus and and uh, algebra and organic chemistry that lit my brain on fire Uh, that was my first inclination of how we let our brains slide yeah you know uh, I went into this coursework and I remember looking at my first algebra test I couldn't read it it was like it could have been in Chinese And I thought, what am I doing here? I am not in a place where I can grasp these concepts. And what happened is I just kept practicing and staying with it and learning different ways of opening up the brain. And it really literally took me only six months and I was on top of my game. Mm. And it's just built from there. And I really understood that if you let it slide, you open the door to disease processes and you know yeah we live in a stressful world and there's a lot of environmental toxins and but i don't buy that that has to be okay for me 
Yeah. I want uh, you know, my objective in my own life is to maximize my potential and to live a high performance life. And when I say high performance life, I don't mean I have to go out and conquer the world and acquire a bunch of stuff. Um, I want to feel really authentic and good about the journey that I'm on. I want to get up every morning excited to face the day and have a really stabilizing energy throughout the day. So that's that's my passion. And so I, I really looked at ways of taking the structures in the brain and, and the activity level, like the ener- on an energetic level. How does the brain work minute to minute to minute? How can I maximize that to up my own game and then also utilize it uh, in different people? Because biologically, we're all different. So yeah, absolutely. Kinda- well, one other thing that Laura didn't mention is that she happened to run Tony Robbins. You were the guru for Tony Robbins on the, in the health world. I was the nutrition lead for his, and I still am, for Life Mastery. So that has been a, a wonderful, amazing uh, opportunity. It started out as a volunteer crew position and um, just through my own expertise and my background in nutrition and my quest for constantly revisiting and tearing apart what the status quo is, I've had an opportunity over the last seven or eight years to work with, you know, he's got a huge platform and there's so many people that come through that platform. And the particular program that I, uh, that I work at is called life mastery. The people come in and do a five day uh, juice cleanse. Mm. So they get their sort of first opportunity to kind of explore their hunger and the emotional aspect of it. And, um, and we have a lot of different experts that come in during that time period and speak to them about all the different facets of health and wellness. So that's really, you know, and I do some, some coaching in the back of the room uh, with people that have some very specific questions around health and nutrition and also the, the journey that they're taking with this fast. Have you ever done a fast? I have not. Uh, I've never done one, no. Yeah. I've done a fast, like a 24 hour, no day, but I've never done a a juice cleanse or anything like that. So it's, you know, it's really interesting. It brings up people's stuff, you know, brings up their stuff. And so we get to work on that. But, you know, as I relate it to neuroscience, I kind of see it as a, you know, kind of like a cleaning out period, you know, you kind of get to go in and wash, wash the brain out a little bit and, uh, and start to nourish some new, new neural connectivity. It's like hitting the reset button. And then, you know, the important, the most important part after any of that really is then how do we take that and incorporate it in our day-to-day interactions with ourselves and the rest of the world? For a long time, I worked with, was working with a psychiatrist. I went to school in Florida and I worked with a psychiatrist that was in Boca Raton. I was doing some research for him on neuronutrition. So, you know, things that were really specific that could help us to get get our brain into the best possible place so that we can have it working for us rather than be at the mercy of it. So that's kind of where I want to start delving in here a little bit because a lot of people can do something for a short period of time. Right. They can do a juice cleanse for five or 10 days, right? And they'll kind of most of them suffer through it. They can uh, do there's the the whole diet where you know they'll cut out sugar in this for 30 days. Mm-hmm. They can go on this or that diet and eat paleo or do all that stuff. And then lo and behold, because it's not a lifestyle choice, it's more of a 
let me just do something because, you know, Mm -hmm. I feel like a slob right now. Eventually, it always yo-yos back for the majority of the population. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to talk about that and how you've seen that that ties into the brain. Because for me, one of the things, you know, I'm in really good shape. I'm actually, I just turned 36. I'm in better shape right now than I was at 26 again, from learning my mind, learning my body, doing these things. And when people ask me, what are you doing? I'm like, actually today it's easier than ever. You know, I, I, I've built a relationship with my body. I communicate with it at night. I tell it what I I'm requesting of it. Like I have a whole other thing, which when I tell people that they're like, I don't get that. So I think your outside represents your inside. It's, it's, I haven't met someone with six pack abs who's, a train wreck mindset wise, because it takes so much discipline and, and work and all that stuff. So I guess my question where I'd like to start is what have you seen that people need to focus on or, or can focus on when it comes to their mindset and, and what's happening in their brain that will allow them to sustain these results for more than just a month or two or six? Right. Great question. I mean, it's a great question. It's probably one of the single most requested things I'll have on my Facebook page or through my website, you know, in my coaching, it's, it's what, what is that? The, the magic, what's the secret sauce. And the reality is you already hit on it. It's about relationships and Mm. it's the brain. You are in a constant relationship with the brain. All of the interior structures of the brain are in a constant relationship with themselves and the body as a whole organism is always striving to maintain homeostasis or or balance. And so when I look at any individual or a situation, uh, it's about pulling, you know, widening the lens to look at where are the imbalances created and how can we go about recreating and bringing things back into more uh, more balance. And, And ultimately what I hope for my clients and for the people that I work with is to get them into a flow state. Hmm. So interesting. I'm not sure where you came up with your name for Satori Prime, but I call it the Satori experience. Ah. Like that's kind of the ultimate, right? It's like the ultimate, it's what the athlete wants. It's like, how do I get into the Satori experience? And interestingly too, when you said, you know, you see it from the outside, I see things from the inside. So, um, because I think we have a lot of focus on the external aspect. And so Rather than thinking about it from the perspective of saying it's mastery over myself, it's mastery within yourself. And that's a a kind of a key piece that I think is missing. And when someone has success like you have, you've integrated both the internal elements and the external elements. And that's key. That's a key part of flow state, right? Is Is integration. So, you know, if you break it down from the perspective, let's just take food, for example. If you're struggling, you know, in order, you want six pack abs and you want you to look a certain way, you have to eat clean, right? Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's uh, lots of different diets out there and uh, I don't have any one I particularly like. I'm more concerned with your mindset yeah. because then that resolves the issue. You're no longer, there's no negotiation about should I have this or this? You know what you should have and you yeah. just choose to have it because, you know, this is your outcome. So the brain sets down a neural pathway when you are doing anything consistently. So, you know, that that's an evolutionary part of our makeup there to create efficiency. So if it sees a pattern, 
it it'll lay down a neural pathway to support that pattern so that you don't have to think about it anymore. It just happens naturally. But the brain does not discern between a good pattern and a bad pattern or a yeah. good habit and a bad habit. It just sees consistency. So you can overlay that with a new pattern, but the old one doesn't go away. Okay, The old one just gets filed, puts back and farther back in the filing cabinet. And what happens with people is they start to adopt a new pattern. The brain senses there's a change. If it happens over a long enough period of time, like 90 days, that's kind of what people have figured out, that it lays down you know, a, a fairly solid track. But the minute that you start to address or think about the old behavior, the brain says, oh, maybe I should move that old pattern back up closer yeah. to the surface. And it reinforces through all those neurotransmitters and chemicals coursing throughout your body that maybe we need to support this old pattern. So it starts the cravings again. It starts the, the dopamine, the desire for, for mm. things that you were having previously. And it does it at a very unconscious level. Like you're not even aware of it. And then you're like, how did that happen? Like, a, you know, day 92, I'm back in the bar drinking beer and eating chicken wings with my buddies. Instead of going to the gym and having my protein shake after. So, and, and there's people in the population that are more susceptible to that than others. People that have had some, uh, that may have had challenges with different addictive qualities. And when I talk about addiction, I'm referring to cigarette smoking, alcohol, food. Uh, they can be any kind of behavioral addiction, really. But the, the work really, the 90 days kind of cleans out the chemical addiction, right? There's a chemical addiction in the brain where the brain becomes accustomed to receiving uh, things that trigger the yeah. release of serotonin and dopamine, the feel-good chemicals. And it wants to, it, it likes that feeling, right? It feels good. That's part of our evolutionary makeup as well. And in, in addictive tendencies, they're, you know, they come at you from two different areas. People can have an addictive brain, but if they don't have an environmental influence that lights that up, they may go through their life and not really suffer from an addiction. If you have any stressors, triggers in your early childhood, or even stressors later in life, it can light that addictive brain up. And then it just literally can consume you. It's yeah. almost like, you know, when you have people say to you, I, have, I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience, like some Martian dropped down from whatever mm. and took my body over. I can't help myself. Yeah. And in some ways, they're telling the truth, right? It's not about discipline and willpower. And, you know, some people are gifted naturally with the ability to have that balanced brain and to have all the chemicals working in their favor. But there's a great deal more of our population now that are really more driven by immediate gratification. Yeah. We see it all around us, our whole society, the media, food manufacturers, how can we monopolize, exploit and monopolize yeah. um, both people's vanity and their addictive tendencies, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's really looking at from many different perspectives, but specifically from the brain is how do we get that switched off and light up the areas of the brain that are going to create some some balance. Yeah, I um I I just recently you asked about a cleanse. I didn't do a cleanse, but every month, um, I do like a an internal challenge for myself, just to kind of like you said, just spark different parts of the brain, see what I I can and right. can't do. Um, and about it was 
the month of February, I really challenged myself. So I have a massive sweet tooth. Like I'm a chocoholic and I wanted to see, cause I got to the point where pretty much after every meal, so like every lunch and every dinner, I would go and grab something sweet and it would, it could be like, I mean, really my, my go-to was a table. I would take a tablespoon, dip it in a thing of Nutella and then just sit there with like almond butter or peanut butter and just like dip it in and dip it in. So I would just eat all this sugar or ice cream or cookie or something like that. And so I decided that in February I was going to cut out sweets after meals. And Mm -hmm. I could tell you that for the first three weeks of that month, it was Mm -hmm. torture, not like from a physical standpoint, torture, but I, it Mm -hmm. was so my the noise in my head was so loud and addiction was so pronounced that it mm-hmm. actually made me take a step back and was like, wow, this thing like, has a crazy, crazy hold on me. I mean, I would sit there and I could just hear it go like, go get it. You know you want it. Like, why are we even doing this? Like, why are you doing this stupid challenge? I'm like, no, 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 we're going to do this. Like, I'm, I've committed to this. Mm-hmm. I want to see what happens. And then like a minute later, it's like, what are you talking about? You know you want that sweet thing. And it would like, I could sense things happening in my mouth. I can sense things happening in my body. And I was like, whoa, this is deep. And yeah. after three weeks, the the grip of it started lessening and lessening. And what I found interesting, so I'm, I've basically kind of brought it back into my system, but I'll basically have a dessert, you know, like once or twice a week at most. Mm-hmm. I found two things that were really helpful. One, if you just wait 10 minutes, the mm-hmm. sensation tends to go away. Right, because when you're when you're still in when you're eating, it takes your body a little bit to figure out like, oh, I've eaten enough, or oh, right. I'm done. So if you just wait ten minutes, generally the 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 need for it subsides. That was one thing, and then the other thing that I found really interesting. I never ate fruit. I'm I'm like not a fruit guy, and. Mm-hmm. I desire fruit now in a way that I've never desired before. So it's like the body still wants that sugar. It just Mm -hmm. now the sugar is coming from a much healthier source. So my Mm -hmm. body's ecstatic. I'm ecstatic. And it was all this process of just, I call it like unplugging from the autopilot Mm -hmm. mode. Right. Yeah. And then seeing what arises. Um, I had a, a question with, you know, with what we're talking about right now. So for a lot of people, you, you brought up, you know, marketed to and, and gratification and instant gratification and things like that. You know, so I even said like people that want six pack abs, six pack abs is a marketing ploy. Right. Period. It's an yeah. marketing ploy. When I'm coaching and training people about their body and things like that, I think that people fail because they're, the results that they seek mm-hmm. are the wrong results. They're looking for things that marketing tells you that, that you should look for, you know, like a certain number on a scale, a certain uh, body percent fat, a uh, certain body image figure, et cetera. Whereas I, I lean towards does this make you feel better? Like, do right. you wake up feeling more alive? Do right. you, are you less tired? Are you performing better in whatever it is that your tasks are? So I'd like you to speak to that a little bit more. Like, are the goals that people set up 
setting them up to fail and what would be good, you know, not result markers, but like markers for them to look at so that they know that they're right. on the right path. Right. So it's a great question because that's a big, a big deal. Body image is a huge driver. Yeah. And again, we're society exploits our vanity when I talk about vanity. And, you know, the reality with that, it's interesting because you kind of touched on it with the food thing and, and your, your sweet, your sugar, sugar cravings, that there's a lot of noise inside your head. Yeah. Right. And that's probably one of the, the singular most, you know, our mind is such an amazing tool, but it, it can turn on us. Oh, yeah. And in the person that is really strapped to those goals, physical quality goals, the six pack abs, despite the genetic you know, there are some limitations in our genetic profile. There's a lot of things that we've learned. The study of epigenetics has come along and we've learned that, wow, we can really start to um, manipulate the expression of certain genes. But there are certain things like how tall you are and, you know, how long your arms are, those kinds of physicality or anatomical structures that are kind of set and you have to work within. And it is very much of a challenge. I work primarily with men. So, uh, I just I mentioned that um, they seem to work up the work out to be the bulk of my clientele. So I have a lot of men that come to me that have done numbers of n- uh, ninety day transformations. They've got yeah. the before and after pictures, and you know they they feel deflated because they cannot get to that ideal standard. My style of coaching has moved really uh, quite a departure from the physicality of it because I see why how so many people suffer from false image, you know, that, and that's what really we've created this image in our mind that is promoted by our success, current success model in society that states in order to be accepted and loved, to be Mm. seen, valued and heard, you must look this way in order to get the girl or the guy, you must look a certain way in order for you to attract the person of your dreams, blah, blah, blah. So I want to, you know, it's all about shifting perception, right? And, and shifting Shifting perception sounds like an easy thing if I can just shift their perception. But what that comes back to is the flexibility in the brain. Mm -hmm. And when you are set on looking a certain way, unless you're willing to sort of step back and revisit and looking at a different approach. So instead of saying, how can I get, I don't care what what I have to do. How can I get this body? Well, that's, you know, what if you were to shift your mindset change the way you think about things and that body could come to you organically or the body that comes to you organically, you can be unbelievably happy with yeah. and it takes very little effort to maintain because it's, a, it's from your true nature. It's more authentic. Sure. So the flexibility, I'm going to go back to the brain for a minute. The flexibility in the brain comes from the brain being fully utilized. Okay. And if we're not utilizing all of the facets of our brain, they stagnate. They don't leave us, but they're just, you know, use it or lose it kind of thing. It just, it's, they slow down. So there's two fundamental areas. And the one that, that I'm going to go back to, which really creates a lot of the flow state is the, there's two areas in the brain that it's like a set of neurological structures. There are two networks called the default mode network and the task process network. And they're really meant to work together. You know, one when one is activated, the other is silent. When the other is activated, the other one's silent. The default mode network is, there are task-related parts of it, but it's kind of focused on evaluating events from the past and anticipating 
things in the future. So it's kind of using the information from the past to plan for the future. Problem with the default, the default mode network is that it's on overdrive, right? The task process network, on the other hand, is the thing that lights up when we're in the moment, um, when we are planning, problem solving. So when you were saying about your ice cream thing and your dessert, that if you just, you know, just created a pause, when you created that pause, the voice that was rambling on in your head is the default network on overdrive. You brought back online with unconsciously. Yeah. But saying, I got to do something here to change this state of mind. You brought the task process network online. And when you did that, it just takes everything down. It takes that busy, busy mental chatter hmm. away. And it's no, I call it no longer a negotiation. When that little voice comes up and says, no, you can't adopt this program because we are focused on looking a certain way. And you just say, no, you get that task processing network back online as hmm. quickly as you can. When you look at FRMIs of the brain and you yeah. look at the areas that light up, when people are practicing meditation on a regular basis and mindfulness techniques, the areas of the task processing network are lit up. Yep. When someone is sitting in meditation and they're thinking about everything else that's going on in their entire world, the default network is online. And mm. that's what's happened in our society. The default network is an overdrive. We need to practice a simple adoption of even without meditation, doing what you just did, you put a pause in there. I call it shifting into neutral. You shifted into neutral territory and allowed a different area of your brain to light up. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, it's, I will say I meditate every day. I've been doing every day now for a better part of a year. I actually just implemented a second part of the day. There's so many insights gained in meditation that when you play them out in your day-to-day -day life, one of the things, so like you were, you were saying with the food, so one of the things is that in meditation, the practice is to practice no judgment of things that occur. So you're having thoughts, thoughts arise. I call them like little stress bubbles, you know, are like constantly popping up and things that you didn't even know that were weighing on your mind or in your body or anything like that. And you just allow them to be and you just notice them. It's not like, oh, my God, I can't believe I thought that. Or, oh, my God, I can't believe I've been holding on to that. None, none of that happens. Right. And then when you start doing that over time and then things occur during the day and that noise comes and it's loud and you don't judge it and you don't add anything to it, then the natural path of that thought is just like any other bubble is to mm -hmm. disappear. Right. And on to the next. And in that moment, it's like, I love that, that analogy of like shifting into neutral. I think a lot of the times people are trying to go, well, they are going a hundred miles per hour in this direction. And they're like, well, now I want to go a hundred miles per hour in this direction. You're like, buddy, that's not realistic. Like you're yeah. going to crash. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I really, really enjoy that. And I, and I think that's really good. I want to just switch topics because this just, you were talking and it, the question popped up and I have a feeling this would really resonate for a lot of people in this world. We were talking about body image, and I think mm -hmm. this is why this arose. So there are people that can lose the physical weight. Mm -hmm. And I hope you understand what I mean by, by when I say yep. this. 
but they don't lose the mental weight. Meaning like they look in the mirror and they're skinnier and they're fitter and et cetera. And this, I'm sure this happens for a lot of different people, but I'm talking, you know, specifically people who are like maybe like 50, a hundred pounds overweight, they lose Mm -hmm. that weight. They look awesome. Mm -hmm. And every time they look in the mirror, they're still the fat boy or girl. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there things that we are now learning about the brain and, and how to alter that? Yeah. Good. Great question. Um, that, that was me for a very long time. And mm-hmm. I call it fat head. Fat I was head. a fat head. <laughs> I, and really this is kind of what's shifted my journey a little bit towards writing a book and really seeing how important these questions that, that you put up are asking. Uh, you know, I, as I said, struggled with my weight a better part of the earlier part of my life. And I studied nutrition, got a three, you know, did a three-year program and became a personal trainer. And even you know, after 12 years of adopting, you know, a really a plant-based, a very rigid diet and achieving my ideal weight and you know, having a nice percentage of muscle mass versus body fat, having that, you know, the the figure. What I found that, uh, and I kind of got hit between like an arrow between the eyes by having a conversation with a woman that was overweight at a spiritual workshop. Mm. And I was trying to shift gears a little bit from the motivational world and go a little into the little deeper essence. And I met this woman and I was talking to her about my kind of earlier thoughts about what I thought the book should be about. And it was kind of loosely on personal responsibility. Because as a personal trainer and a nutritionist, I found it really frustrating that I would, you know, spend a lot of time with people and write programs for them. And then there'd be, you know, we call it non-compliance. And so in my ego state, I was, you know, rambling on to this woman about personal responsibility and cultivating personal responsibility in, in the client. And I could see her kind of glazing over. And then, you know, I could actually see her getting angry. She kind of stopped me and she said, you know, Lori, while that's all really interesting, I'm 53 years old. I've been overweight most of my life. I've been on every diet and here I am at 53 and I still can't figure out, you know, what's happening. So until you can figure out how to solve that and, and now you're telling it, now you're telling me it's also my fault, right? So mm. I, I double suck. And so, you know, when you can figure out that maybe you can come back and I might buy what you're selling. So it's kind of an arrow between the eyes and it shifted how I started thinking about these things. And the reality is that I came to an understanding that while I may have been this fitness in a fitness body and look a certain way, my mindset was still in the diet. I realized after that conversation that I too woke up every morning in fear of putting on those pounds. Mm. I would, every time I would pass by a reflection, I would, you know, check the side to see if my stomach was flat. You're, it becomes an obsession and obsessions live in the default mode network. Mm. The, when the default mode network is in overdrive, it becomes fixated. So if you believe that you're a gorilla, you look in the mirror and you see a gorilla and the brain is somehow supporting that because you have told the brain The mind is dictating to the brain. If the mind convinces itself that it's a gorilla, it tells the brain, when you look in the mirror, I want you to see a gorilla. You'll see a gorilla. So you can, and you could be in a, in a hummingbird's body seeing a gorilla. So again, it is 
acknowledging that that's what's happening, that yes, I think there are a tremendous amount of fitness professionals and people in the nutrition world out there that are in this mental prison. And I was in that mental prison and I can't tell you how much suffering that caused because I was always living in fear of living up to the image, the self-image that I created that I thought, well, God, I look in the mirror and that, and I see this fat person. Well, that's not going to be acceptable. So you create a false image in which to live in from, and it's impossible to keep up because you're betraying your soul. You're bleeding. You know, it's like little pricks of the knife and you're this slow insidious death. And, and how are you really able to help people? You know, when you start to expand your level of consciousness outside of yourself, and you want to relate to others, which you have to do as a coach, you, you're, you're in that mode. Uh, it starts with you, right? It starts with your internal work and figuring this stuff out for yourself. So I had to go back to the drawing board and say, how do I get myself out of this mental prison so I can go back and help that woman? And, and so really, again, it's about creating that shift. It's quieting this mind down, this default mode network, getting it out getting out of that and, and getting the task processing one back online. And that occurs through shift into neutral. Just to, you know, pause between yourself. You see the reflection and you say, I still see a fat person. And then you become the observer, the witness. Oh, okay, that's interesting. I still have that thought. I'm not judging it. You know, I maybe it needs a little further exploration, right? And when you do that, you're hitting the pause button, right? You're creating some psychological distance between you and, and what's happening. And, and there's an opportunity between stimulus and response to create a really different environment for yourself, right? So that's that going. It's, it's now taking one area of the brain and quieting it down and letting the realistic one, the more authentic one, the present state one to kind of come up and let you see the truth. But there's a bigger piece to that, and it's the deeper piece, and it's the one that most people will spend a life that have spent a lifetime avoiding, right? It's the more primal reptilian part of our brain that got us stuck in the first place, and it's that inability to deal with the emotions when you when you shift into neutral and you're not racing all over the place that you start those feeling states, the sensations in your body that you've done everything to shut down. Ice cream shuts them down. You know, alcohol shuts them down. A good hit of heroin shuts them down, right? We've become accustomed to let's sh avoidance. Let's shut that pain down and let's seek pleasure, right? So, you know, our, our sort of evolutionary um, makeup that supports us and keeps us alive it also comes back to hijack us, so... Hopefully that answered your, your question. You know, again, when people are looking in the mirror and seeing that, they first need to recognize that there's a disconnect. And sometimes you need some help from the outside world to establish that, you know, from someone that can give you a neutral and, and valid judgment, uh, not based on their own model of the world, but based on yours. And, and then once you've acknowledged that something might be amiss, that you still are on this lock and it's to explain to yourself, what is it that's so hard to accept? You know, what would be the worst case scenario for you? Well, to gain weight, to put weight back on. Could you ever accept yourself as an overweight person? And that's a question that re people really struggle with. 
You know, I, I think that one of the first places emotionally to try and get to is neutral. <laughs> you know, that's why I love the terminology shift into neutral. Cause yeah. I think when, you know, people think that peace and happiness are this elevated aroused state where I actually see it as an absence of feeling, right? It's an absence of extreme feeling. Like you said, when you felt that craving and you acknowledged it and you created some distance, you watched it pass through you like the clouds, yeah. right? Because a craving is just energy. Emotions are just chemical energy and they're meant to be temporary, right? So they're meant, they're meant to give us a, guide, a guidance, a signpost, keep us safe, but then they go pass through us. And if you allow that craving the space to do that, just the DUI, you couldn't have described it better. It really is that simple, but it's being able to quiet the mind down to the point of allowing that to occur. Right? I think that's the same thing with your mindset. Yeah. So here's, here's what I've kind of heard. And I, I, I would like to just probe a little bit deeper. So what I heard was obviously awareness, right? Awareness. And I like the fact that we brought in, you called it the uh, default mode network, which is like, that's right. the thing that's speaking to you. And when you look in the mirror saying like, yeah. you're fat, you're fat. Cause that's all the old programming, all the old patterns that are, are in the brain. Now we mm-hmm. kind of shift into neutral in that in between. And then that takes us into the task process network, which that is much more in the present, in the now, we get to logically look at who we are in this moment. You mentioned something earlier, and I know this to be true, and it doesn't matter what area of life, right? When someone goes through some sort of expansion in their life, um, Mm -hmm. expansion around finances, expansion around relationships, expansion around their self-worth, inevitably what happens, and Tony Robbins even used the example of tuning a piano, right? Like inevitably that old pattern seeps in. Mm -hmm. It's not, I mean, listen, it's been there for decades, right? And you're trying to like abate it like that. So I'm curious for you today, when you look in the Mm -hmm. mirror, Mm -hmm. what's the conversation? Like, has it shifted where you look at yourself today and you're like, I'm healthy, I'm vibrant, I'm fulfilled, I'm alive. This is the best I've ever looked. This is the best I've ever felt. Or are you looking and it's still like, oh my God, I'm so scared about gaining the weight. I'm fat. And then you're kind of going through this process, shifting into neutral and then actually replacing the conversation on a daily basis. I'm curious to know what your your actual process looks like. Yeah, I love the question because it really comes down to, you know, I think the thing too is that if your brain has had a history of reactivity, that it's not something that just is dismissed. There are certain elements that are going to stay in place. So typically, if you have a, a predisposition to addictive tendencies, it's not like they ever completely go away. I have to have an awareness of them. The difference is I know how to manage them. And I think that people expect that there's an end game. They're just going to, you know, if you just do this work, then they're gone. And then when they come back up again, they're caught off guard. And and instead of having the tools to manage them when they do come back up, they just get overcome by them. And so I think that's a really important question and a really important point to address is that, you know, we are who we are and we're all so unique and so different. And for a long time, I felt very resentful and pissed off at the world that I had these addictive tendencies. You know, mm-hmm. I felt like they sabotaged 
uh, everything that I was trying to accomplish. And, you know, my brain was bouncing all over the walls. It's not uncommon um, in, uh, in an addictive brain to have AD, you know, to have what they call ADD. And really what I see ADD and ADHD is an extension of that default mode network in total overdrive. Yep. And so it's really just about understanding your unique biochemistry and what you have to work with and appreciating that, you know, what I think I'm trying to accomplish for myself is to do the best to maximize my potential, right? Not according to somebody else yep. is, is to simply see within myself what I can cultivate to my, my best, best of my ability. And so that requires that self-mastery within it's about how can I manage? So when that addictive tendency, when the old pattern, when that conversation says you're a fat cow and you don't deserve to be on the cover of this or to be talking to these people or whatever, yeah, that conversation you know, still comes up. It's got deep roots. It's, it's instrumentally in our foundation. And you know, Tony's big thing is about completely rocking that foundation, that paradigm, that worldview. And that's where our deepest beliefs and our deep, our values, they're culturally ingrained. You know, where did we grow up? In what family are, you know, are we a man or a woman? Are we gay? Are we straight? I mean, there are all these, these fundamental things that create a deeper set of beliefs. And that's in our subconscious, right? And a lot of that is higher brain, prefrontal cortex, right? Our prefrontal cortex is the higher brain. It's much, it came along at a much later stage in evolution. And it gives us that ability to do some amazing things, the problem solving, some amazing things. But we get really caught in with the emotional brain, the old, the lizard, the primal. You know, when we pop out of the womb, that, that emotional center is like so active. And, and right like between the ages of zero and three, Things that happen during to us and for us and within us are the fundamental architecture that lays a foundation for the, that brain activity, self-regulation, uh, behavior inhibition, impulse control, and our emotional center. Right? So for the parents that are listening, because obviously we're not between the ages of zero and three, but if you have children between the ages of zero and three, even in vitro, environmental influences everything is that child's brain is being formatted and it gives way to our worldview, you know, and then the nurturing part, all of the things that we get exposed to and through school and our caregivers and our siblings and all of the, they start to build our story, right? Mm -hmm. our, a lot of our story lives in the subconscious and people aren't even aware of it. So when you start to become aware of it and you hear the conversation, Go to the witness, go to the observer. Mm. You know, it's the easiest, doesn't cost anything. You don't have to hire anybody. It's right, it's within you. You know, I call it being, oh, I'm going to be a fly on the wall of my life for a minute here. Look at the conversation you're having. Is that conversation serving you? Is yeah. this conversation having the higher vision that you've created for yourself? And the higher vision for myself now looks very different than it did 10 years ago. It's not hmm. about, I've got to look a certain way. It's how are you doing or how close to being in alignment, right? That's, I think, a fundamental thing, right? We behave a certain way on the outside and we speak a certain way, but the underlying things are not set, telling us the same story. They want to drive us in a different direction and yeah. it creates a dissonance. 
right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, f- fundamentally, the flow state in the big picture is getting everything back into balance, brain, you know, physicality, emotional, spiritual, psychological, aligning so that you can then create that alignment. Like when you talk about where you are now, you're back in the world of having an occasional dessert and enjoying fruit. Like how wonderful was that experience for you to just like really dig fruit, something that is in nature. It's not some superfood you had to buy off the internet. Yeah. Is it your local grocery store? Yeah. Full of life's amazing energy. That's every piece of fruit known to man is brain food. Yep. You know, so full of antioxidants. Those antioxidants are clearing out the garbage, right? Allowing the brain, maximizing and optimizing this amazing organism that we have to help us rather yeah. than hinder. I want to I wanna just highlight something as we wrap up here, because I, I heard you say it, and I think this is so important, is having an unrealistic expectation that those thoughts should be erased forever. Mm-hmm. Um, right. A lot of times we coach people and, you know, they'll have a breakthrough or they'll see some something in an, their interaction with a parent or a sibling or a boss or something. And then they, they're like, okay, wow, they have this huge breakthrough. I handled it. And then a couple months later, something will happen. And it's like right back to that same conversation. And it's like you right. said, they're really caught off guard because they're like, wait, I thought I dealt with this. And mm-hmm. I think it's really important for people to understand that these are, if, if it's like um, a computer program, you know, like if you're a machine and you're a computer, these are programs that are running in the background all the time. And just because yeah. you've updated and upgraded and put other programs in place, it doesn't make the other ones necessarily disappear. They're right. there. And just to give yourself that flexibility and freedom that when that stuff arises, you're not beating yourself up, you're not making yourself wrong, you're not shaming yourself or blaming mm-hmm. yourself, that you're investigating it and going, oh, that's interesting that that showed mm-hmm. up right now again. Mm-hmm. What's here for me to look at? Mm-hmm. And then keep that dialogue going um, where you're not reacting with this negative energy because that Absolutely. negative energy is what actually keeps it in place and in place. reestablishes it. Yeah, lights up the default mode network in a big yeah. way. So um, again, the uh, so you know circumstance last couple two Christmases ago, I've been doing the work and I'm in a really good place and uh, you know I was not power eating my way through the buffet or clearing the appetizer table at the cocktail parties. Uh, I had really got that sorted. And over the course of the Christmas holiday, because uh, I don't have like, oh, it's Christmas holiday, I'm going to go crazy. Yeah. You know, you've got to have some stability. You've got to stabilize the addiction. So I was just cruising through. Everything was going well. And I started to find that slowly over time, it slipped away. And by the day, two days after Christmas, I had a family get together myself where I filled the whole table with appetizers and I found myself standing at the appetizer table back in an old pattern of both double, double hand dipping, you know, just constant grazing, grazing. Yeah. And, uh, and I had noticed it. I had been building up to it. And the day after everybody was gone, I was in the quietude of my home and sort of starting that berating. And I have taught myself, okay, just shift into neutral here. 
get into this present space for a moment. Focus on your breathing, first of all, because you need to get the, the task processing network back up to serve you in this process. So just allow that to come. The prefrontal cortex also is brought back online, right? Let's just think about this through the breath, connects you to the present moment and allows everything to just kind of calm down a little bit. And you keyed on a, a point here. It's insight over, over discipline. It's insight over knowledge because it's, this is a personal thing. What's happened here to trigger me, mm. right? So you look for the trigger. The trigger, I thought, I, you know, I had to think about it, think about it. Well, the trigger was the stress Always. of waking, you know, working up to Christmas. And I hadn't really thought about having people over or whatever. And at the last minute, I kind of got dumped with this. The family doesn't have anywhere to go. Let's, you know, I had to go out and rent a hotel and do it in that space. And there was stress. And more stress and more stress. And, and I didn't really acknowledge it. So I thought, ah, oh, okay. So there's the trigger. There's stress. And, but, you know, i kind of been learning to manage the stress. So what else was there? And you ask yourself questions. What else is coming up? And I went, ah, I stopped meditating. Hmm. The whole month of December. I stopped doing yoga. I stopped doing my integrative processes. Those things that keep me solid. Yep. They went they, because they weren't a big enough priority yet. They yep. were something new I had adopted. I let them fall away. Not doing yoga. So I, those things, you know, you're not doing yoga for exercise or to have a certain body. You're doing it to allow yourself to integrate your central nervous system to get everything that you've got working for you to continue to work. You're solidifying that foundation of self-mastery. Right. Yeah. So I was triggered by the stress. I had lost some of my primal, you know, really important practices. I had let them go. So again, I just, uh, you know, spent some time in that non-judgmental, be compassionate and kind, you know, otherwise you'll get nowhere. You'll go back to the fridge and yeah. you start rating yourself to take it another step. I also allowed, what's the emotion here? Right. That's the next layer is yeah. what's the emotion that is because an emotion will spurn a thousand thoughts. One emotion. Yeah. Right. What's the emotion? And that emotion, the deeper, you know, the deeper recesses is I'm not enough. You yep. know, you we're going to do no matter how, what dinner I put on, whatever I, it's not going to be enough. It's that feeling of the, my family won't love me. doesn't matter what I try and do. So, you know, and it's, we know it's bullshit. But it's got such a deep, uh, that whole, everything kind of boils down to that, right? Our sense of yeah. self-worth. And so I allow the emotion to come up. It's a physical sensation in the body, right? Emotions have a chemical nature to them. It's simply a physical sensation that we're, we've been conditioned to think is a bad feeling and to, and to push away or suppress. And if we just do what you did with your craving, because a craving is just an emotional essence and allow it, Give it some space. Give it some space. And I just physically did this with my hands as well. Just, all right, let it go. Yeah. I was back on track that day. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just that simple. You just have to keep bringing yourself back. Just keep, learn that basic process, like five steps, and then bring yourself back. Because we're human beings, right? We're human beings, and we live in a crazy-ass world. Yeah, we do. Uh, you know, there's huge stimulation all over the place. And so it's really about acknowledging 
you know, your humanness and that times the shit's going to hit the fan. And, and isn't it wonderful to have, you know, to be able to come back and ground ourselves into that great place. And it happens instantly because the brain picks back up on, yeah, you know, all right, we're doing that now. Okay. I can support you in that. Yeah. We, we took a little detour, but now we're back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. All right, Laurie. So we're here at the bottom of the hour. And I just want to, first of all, thank you for taking your time here to be with us and share this wisdom with us. And I want to give our guests who want to get in touch with you an opportunity to do so. So where's the best place that people can reach you? Uh, Absolutely. LaurieCosser.com is my website. Um, Laurie Cosser fan page on Facebook. Laurie at LaurieCosser.com. I love to have conversations. <laughs> I think uh, you can probably tell. I love to talk to people about this stuff because I'm really vested in their journey as much as my own. This is a collective thing that we are going through. I'm very, very passionate about it. And life has, has given me lots of opportunities to develop empathy. <laughs> so uh, uh, any way I can help, I love, I love to hear from, from your group. And uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. I really Absolutely. It. it was an absolute pleasure. And uh, for anyone out there, if you're hearing this and you know someone in your life that you think would get value from this, uh, I know this is a conversation that a lot of people don't get to have, which is why we had Lori on the show in the first place. Please feel free to share this with them. I think this is the kind of information that gives people peace around what they're dealing with in their lives, especially around their health and weight and stuff like that. Um, In a world that has so many made up rules about how you need to look and how you need to feel and how you need to act and all that kind of shit, I think it's nice to just take a step back and know that where you are is perfect and that there's always room for improvement and um, there's there's other ways to go around it. So thank you for listening. Thank you to Lori and we'll see you on the next Have It All podcast. So that's it, my friends. That's today's episode. I just want to thank you for being part of our Have It All family and truly, truly thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help or give back in any way possible, the best way would be to share this or any other episode that you loved with your family, friends, or colleagues. And if you'd be so great as to just leave us a rating and a comment on either iTunes or Stitcher, whichever you use, that helps us tremendously. It only takes about two to three minutes of your time and would mean the world to us. Finally, I want to let you know that if you want to get even more exclusive content from Guy and I, Just head over to satoriprime.com and make sure you join our mailing list. Now, I know what you might be thinking, God, not another mailing list, but I promise you, you'll only get an email or two from us per week and it will always have amazing videos and articles that I'm sure you're going to love, promise. So until next time, you can join our ongoing conversation at the Have It All Facebook group where you can let us know how we're doing and what we can do to improve. Love you all, and we'll see you on the next Have It All podcast. Have an amazing, amazing day, my friends.